Sports Radio 1043 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's Terry. All right, good morning. You know, it's a beautiful sunny day as I look out the window in my studio in Fort Collins. But my outdoor thermometer says 7 degrees, so we're making some ice here on the front range. Uh, I went out driving, did a little checking. Brad Peterson's going to join us. He's been checking. We'll talk to Nate Zielinski in the second hour. By the way, we have a short show today. We're on an hour and a half because of the Vikings football game. So we'll cram. But we got a full show. We're going to cram a lot in. We're going to get you a lot of information. Uh, Later on in this hour, Matt Johnson from CLAM, the head of their pro staff, is going to join us about and talk some ice fishing. So we've got quite a bit of ice fishing to talk about. Um, we're also going to talk about the new Colorado Pass, the, the Keep Colorado Wild Annual Pass, to make sure people understand how that works, where you get the $29 Parks Pass with your, uh, with your car registration. So we got a lot. And another thing we're going to address today, too, one of the um, – Game managers has come on. We've had some poaching instances that we want to talk about and get the information out there because we just want to keep the reputation of the hunting public good. Let's go to the phones now. Oh, hey, before I even – we're going to give away two pair of tickets to the International Sportsman's Exhibition during this – this today's show and every show now up to the up to the exhibition in the middle of January. So you want to stay tuned for that. Sometimes you'll just have to text in. Sometimes you'll have to know the answer to a question. But let's go to the phones. And joining us is Brad Peterson. And no, Brad, you are not eligible to win the tickets because you're appearing there. Yeah, I'll be down there. I'm excited for the show being back in January. I think it's going to be a uh, a great show this year. The lineup just got posted recently online with the speakers, and it's going to be a great time. Yeah, I, I think it's going to feel good to be more normal. We had kind of that spring one to kind of make up for COVID, but this feels more like what we're used to. Hopefully we'll get a lot of people out that we can reconnect with and a lot going on. And we're going to do our family day on uh, the Sunday of the show again, where you always put on some great presentations for beginning anglers, whether it's children or spouses or, or just friends that want to get started in fishing. And we've got over 50 fishing rods to give away to kids donated by the Lose group and a few by Eagle Claw, too, and some tackle boxes from ISE. And I know you're working on some stuff, so there's going to be a lot of free tackle. People need to keep track of that. And Sunday's going to be a great day, and I don't think we're going to have a Broncos playoff game. Doesn't look good for it, does it? <laughs> no, no, it definitely, uh, I think that ship has already sailed for this year. Yeah, I think so. Hey, we're getting people already on the text line asking about ice fishing reports and what's going on. I know you were checking some things. Just so you know, I drove over and looked at Boyd and uh, Lon Hagler yesterday, and there there was no fishable ice there. They were mostly wide open. But what have you? what are you seeing? Let's talk about it a little bit. Yeah, that's kind of what I've been seeing, too, is even though the stuff is capped over the last day or two in the areas that the wind laid down, you're only looking at an inch or two inches max of ice. I, I've actually been going around from the shore and, and spudding just to check to see how much is out there. 
And I would say, you know, based on the temperatures we've got coming up for the next week, we're only, if you know, maybe two, three days away from having that four-inch mark, which is what most of us think is being fishable. And so we're only a few days away from that. But I think if you're headed out today thinking you're going to fish this front range area ice, I think you're pushing it a little bit if you really want to get out. You know, down in the Denver area, I know Evergreen's got good ice. If you're up more towards Fort Collins, you know, run up to the Red Feather areas and let's all all be safe and not try to push it. Yeah, there's um, this. This is going to be an interesting time because we have good safe ice by not going up very far into the mountains. Like you mentioned, Red Feathers. I was up there just a while ago. In fact, took my grandson up. We caught a ton of fish up there. Oh, you know, a few were up in that 12, a little better, maybe 14, but most of them were 9 to 11 inches. But we had a great time, uh, just enjoyed it. There was probably 8, 9 inches of ice. It was really safe, although the ice did shift and a crack came up because we had hard winds there. The winds are supposed to lay down over the weekend now, and the temperatures are supposed to stay pretty cool. The days will be a little warmer, but we get some very cold weather coming up. And I agree with you, we're only a few days away from fishable ice right here on the Front Range, but use extreme, extreme caution. We did have somebody ask about some of the southeast, I mean, northeast lakes, Jackson Lake in particular. Do you have a feeling for when people might see some ice there? Well, that's going to be a real tough call. You know, Jackson was in that area that got hit with real heavy snow this past week. And so basically from about Kersey East, got those real heavy snow so if it just had a couple inches of ice that that snow could have pushed that ice down or if it didn't have ice it's going to create that snow ice that's going in i do know they are filling jackson right now which makes it a little bit more hazardous because the water level keeps coming up and you have you know that that thin ice around the edge where the lake has started to fill and so that that thin water there is shallow water doesn't have a whole lot of ice on it so i would say the best thing to do is call the state park up there they're usually pretty on top of the ice conditions right there and you don't want to drive up there if uh if you're not able to either one get there or two if the conditions aren't right so give them a call and they should have a much better feel as to what's going on there i've talked to some people out by sterling and there still are some of the roads just just off the main highways that have not been cleared yet and have drifts that aren't passable. So, you know, the hunters with duck season starting coming up tomorrow have really been trying to figure out how they can get to their places. But do a little bit of homework, make a few phone calls before you start driving out there. I would say in the next day or two, they should have all the roads cleared out that way. Yeah, and I want to switch to duck hunting in just a minute. But one of the things, if those eastern reservoirs weren't frozen when we got that snow, that snow will really drop the water temperature. And what we really need is just the wind to lay down for a couple days and cap everything so the ice doesn't move around. And we'll build ice pretty quickly. Um, Denver was below zero for the first time in five years in December last night. So we're going to have ice building. And we'll talk to Nate about Chatfield. I'm sure that some of those, some of the bays, some of the inla- some of the little bays and boat ramp areas might be fishable, but we don't want to say anything till we talk. Somebody check. The last fishing one I want to talk to you about is Saint Vrain. You told me that that capped over 
um, it, it's been a little on again, off again. So I would think that trout fishing, especially through the ice there, should be really good as soon as that ice is stable. Yeah, I, I checked the ice at St. Vrain yesterday, and the lakes had been about a third frozen prior to this last cold snap. Where there was that, there was a, just under two inches of ice, and the, the fresh stuff that had just frozen was only about an inch. So, again, you're a couple days away, but, yeah, those lakes have been stocked with uh, trout, particularly uh, coot and uh, sandpiper and uh, mallard are the three that get stocked with trout. And so they all get a good fall stocking. And when that ice, when you're first able to get out and fish on that ice, man, it can be a really hot bite for that first, you know, two-week period. So I would say – you know, middle of the week until kind of New Year's, I think it's going to be a great time to get out there. The fish are real receptive to biting, and it's a great opportunity to take kids out because you're real close to the car. It's not a long drive, and you're going to be in an area where they're going to get bites. Hey, let's switch gears while we still have time and talk about waterfalls. Goose season is ongoing, and I hear it's been phenomenal. Duck season took a break, and now it's second split starts tomorrow. Probably going to have to change your tactics a little bit with these ponds freezing, though, right? Yeah, with the ponds and, you know, the big lakes just starting to to cap up and hopefully for the ice fishermen freezing real soon, that's going to push these ducks to either the little warm water sloughs or the river. And I will tell you, I've been out scouting the last three days, and today I have seen more ducks along the river than I've seen all season long. So those people that like to hunt the river, I think this opener and for, you know, the next little period of cold weather, it's going to be really good. Now, when you start getting out east, I've talked to some people out by Iliff and out that way, the river is, they're getting cold enough at night that the river's starting to flow some slush ice. So you need to really kind of think about where you're going to go, maybe go below a diversion or picking and off the main channel little piece of water that isn't going to have that uh, as much of that slush ice running. But I think the people that decide to go out tomorrow are going to be in for a, you know, a great opportunity for one of your best duck hunting days of the rest of the season. Yeah, and any different tactics now that you go to the rivers? Does your, your decoy sets, your calling change? <clears throat> You know, I do change it up a little bit. Now that the geese are around on the river, I probably put out about 50-50 geese to duck decoys. The ducks love to come into the goose decoys. They can see them from a long distance, and it gives you the opportunity to get geese in. So you don't need quite as many duck decoys if you're going to put out some goose decoys. And plus the goose decoys, you can put a lot of them I'm using are, are shells, and they can go right on the sandbar, so you don't have to worry about finding as much quiet water or that slush ice, you know, catching a decoy and taking it down river. And then when it comes to calling, these birds are fairly new to the river. They haven't been around. They don't exactly know where they're going. So I always start off calling soft for the first, first group or two that I see and don't hit them too hard. And if they'll respond to soft calling, stick with that. But oftentimes when they're just kind of looking, you have to get a little bit more aggressive and a little bit louder with them just to say, hey, this is is the spot you want to be in. 
and if you do that, that'll really bring those birds in um, that maybe haven't looked at you with that soft calling. So don't be afraid to get a little bit more aggressive. You know, they haven't seen the hunting pressure. They aren't as call shy uh, as they will be later in the season. So I do a tendency to, to call a little bit harder right here if the birds aren't looking or if they're flying, say, double treetop high or higher. I really want to get their attention. Then once they start working the decoys, I go to a little bit more softer, uh, natural-sounding calling. But um, right now, there's there's a good mix of birds uh, on the river. I'm seeing green-winged teal, widgeon, gadwall, mallards, um, bufflehead, goldeneye, and even some of the mergansers have shown up. So it could be real fun with a lot of a variety of opportunity for a late-season hunt. Last question. With the ducks being so good, a, a lot of geese, you can probably still hunt away from water. You can let me know. So are you looking at maybe the, are the geese numbers were really good? Are they holding up? And so maybe somebody who just wants to target the geese, get away from the other hunting areas and maybe try to hunt some fields? You know, if you've got the, the goose numbers are still holding up. I'm sitting here looking at the river right now, and I'm watching 10 birds come right off the river. They'd roosted there all night. So if you've got a field, that's probably your best opportunity to get on geese. And the numbers are, are still really good, particularly along the North Front Range. As you get further east, that snow might have pushed some of those birds out. Um, I haven't heard for sure, and we really won't know probably for another couple days once hunters get out there after, after the storm, whether they got pushed out or whether they're hanging around. Um, but the nice thing is, with that weather out east, those birds aren't going to sit on the reservoirs as much, so they're going to come to the river, and there's a lot of public hunting opportunities along the river. So if you don't have a field, this the next probably two weeks is going to be some of your best opportunities to get on geese, uh, hunting the river, bring some decoys out, and and stay out, because the best time for the river hunting is going to be from about 10 to, to 2 when those birds are kind of coming back from feeding in the morning and then that last hour or so of shooting light as they come back from the afternoon feed. And one tip I will give to people that are going out on the river and, you know, putting out a spread that has both duck and goose decoys out there is put shells in your gun that will work for both. I like using ones or BBs. Uh, usually ones is probably my favorite because the ones will be just a little bit bigger than you normally shoot for ducks, but they're going to be big enough to bring geese down. And that way you don't get caught in the middle of either changing shells when birds are coming in or a bird comes in silent and you never see it and you just don't have the proper ammunition to be able to get a good opportunity to kill that bird. So I would go, you know, if you're shooting a 20-gauge, twos are about as big as you're going to get. But if you're shooting a 12 or bigger, I'd go ones or BBs. And that will give you added opportunities, and and it won't look quite as, as hectic in the blind as you're swapping shells around. Brad, we are out of time. If people want to book a trip with you, how do they get a hold of you? You can find me on Facebook at Brad Peterson Outdoors or give me a call at 303-829-3998. 
All right. Thanks, Brad. We'll talk to you again soon. If I don't talk to you before, have a great Christmas. We're going to take a quick time out, folks. And we get back, uh, a district wildlife manager is going to join us. And we're going to talk about some poaching incidents right here on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. On 104.3 The Fan, brought to you in part by Jack's Outdoor Gear. If you're still shopping for that outdoor enthusiast in your family, go to one of the many Jack stores up and down the front range. You'll find everything you want there. Let's go to the phones. And joining us from Colorado Parks and Wildlife, uh, District Wildlife Manager, Mark Caddy. Good morning, Mark. Good morning, sir. How are you? You know what? I'm doing great. It's uh, The sun is shining outside of my studio window, but the temperature's cold. But that's making ice for ice fishing, and it's moving the animals around for hunting. So overall, it's a, it's a great day to be outdoors in Colorado. You know, Mark, you and I talked earlier in the week, and we're going to talk about some poaching incidents. We'll get to those particular incidents in just a minute, but let's set a little background. First of all, uh, poaching does nothing for the reputation of hunters. Any avid outdoorsman who enjoys the outdoors wants it done ethically. He wants people to have a good opinion about the hunting public. And all poaching does is detract from that. And there's some laws, too, that come into play. You told me that this has been kind of an unusual year. There's been a little more than you expect this year. Yeah, we've had, and I don't know why, but we've definitely had a little more going on this year than we've had in the past. Um, part of that, I think, is just because the snow and the season brought the animals down, and so there were just a larger number of animals, and uh, some some folks just kind of lost their head. I think that's the only thing I can attribute it to. And poaching isn't just shooting an animal without a license and taking it or shooting at a out-of-season or at the wrong time. Um, there's laws in Colorado against wasting game, too, which is poaching, right? That's correct, and that's kind of what we were dealing with here is we had several instances where the animals were either just shot and left or shot, and then some work was done on trying to get them out, uh, but then they were just abandoned where they were at, and, uh, you know, the meat basically gone to rot, which, you know, doesn't doesn't show any respect for the animal whatsoever. You know, and... I, I highly encourage anybody who's out there to, if they have information on anybody poaching, to go to Operation Game Thief. Uh, that's a program, and I will try to give out the numbers, or at least you can Google Operation Game Thief. <clears throat> and it's set up to keep hunters honest and for the people that have the ethics to do the sport right to make sure their sport stays clean. Let's talk about these incidents in particular. You said there was three deer and several elk that were left with total disrespect? Yeah, this was during the second and third rifle seasons out here in Unit 70. Um, we, had, we had three deer that were just shot and left, and you know, I tried to tell people these weren't wounding losses because these were, these were very good shots, and these animals went down almost immediately. Uh, we also had two legal bulls, I mean, four-pointer better bulls, that were shot up near Miramonte Reservoir. Uh, again, they were just shot and left. And then uh, in a location called around Calendraw, we had three animals actually down. We had one spike bull, which is an illegal bull for anybody to shoot. And then we had two other elk that, some, like I said, people started processing, but then just walked away from them. 
And so on each one of these, I mean, the meat and everything was just left, which by Colorado law is, is a thing called waste of wildlife. If we go to the, just a misdemeanor side of it, uh, you know, you got to make sure that all the meat that you get off an animal is taken and made fit for human consumption. But then the other end of this is when they shoot an animal and just walk away from it, uh, there's a potential they could be charged with a Class 5 felony willful destruction of wildlife. Okay, so if people see, we're going to talk about Operation Game Thief here in just a second, but hunters see that you've had a, you're really kind of, I could tell you've got a passion for wanting to solve these particular cases. Now, let's start first. What if one of these cases, somebody just shot the wrong animal by mistake? What should they do in that case? Well, in that case, the best thing to do is just go ahead and give us a call. Uh, you know, take care of the animal, field dress it, and everything like that, and give you know give us a call. One of the officers uh, will meet with you and, and look the situation over. I'm, I'm never going to tell anybody you won't get a ticket, but uh, there's a really good chance in a situation of a mistaken kill or accidental kill that what you're going to walk away with is a ticket that's a whole lot less than uh, the you know the illegal take of a deer or the illegal take of an elk. I mean. We generally try to look at things through through a perspective of, well, did they actually make a mistake or what was going on? So, uh, you know, in some situations, we may look at it and say, yep, you're right, and just and say, okay, we're going to take the animal, and, and then you'll be on your own. But for the most part, you just really ought to call up and give us a shout and say, hey, I screwed up, man up to it, and then, like I said, give, we'll have a conversation and see where we go from there. What about if um, I shoot an animal and I realize I'm gonna I'm not equipped to get it out? Um, is there help available? Well, I, I can't specifically say we have a program for that, but uh, you know, if, if you're in a situation where you you kill something in a in a hole and you just all of a sudden realize I just physically can't do it, uh, you know, you can give one of us a call again. I mean. We're going to work with you. We're going to try to find people that can get in there and, and lend you a hand. I mean, it, I can speak for my country. I have several people that have that uh, are permitted to do retrieval, and uh, you know, I'd be glad to work with them and talk to them and lend a hand. But the big thing is, we just have to know it's there. And uh, you know, if you can't physically get it out, then call for some help. And we'll be glad to do what we can do. Now. For that type of a situation, you would call Colorado Parks and Wildlife directly um, for either of those two situations. You can Google the number of your closest office. But if you see something and you want to report maybe an, a poaching incident, especially these ones that you're talking about here, how do I do that? Well, I mean, you can do one of two things. I mean, the, the probably the easiest thing to do in those situations, if you were in that area and you saw something and you think it might be relevant or you're not sure if it's relevant, but you just want to report it. You can again. You can call Operation Game Thief, and that's number one eight seven seven two six five six six four eight, and that allows you to to give your information. If you want to remain anonymous, you can. Uh, but if you also are willing to, you know, step come forward, then that information will be passed along to the local officer. That Operation Game Thief keeps track of who the on-call officers are and whose district it is, and they will make sure that information is then passed along to them, and then you'll just get a phone call back from the local officer, and then we can have that conversation. All right. Well, give that number again. Operation. You can Google Operation Game Thief, but give that number again, Mark. 
It's 1-877-265-6648. And this, this is a number good for any violation, any any poaching incident in Colorado. I mean, I know I got a fellow officer who lost a bighorn sheep, desert bighorn sheep north of me. Uh, he's still looking for information, too. So any any violation across the state, that's a good number to call. All right, my friend, uh, thank you for coming on. And we want to keep the reputation of the hunting public intact and do it ethically. And I appreciate you sharing your time with us today. Well, thank you for letting me on. You bet. That's Mark Caddy from Colorado Parks and Wildlife. Mark, have a great Christmas. We'll talk to you maybe soon again. Thank you. You too. All right. We'll take a quick time out. When we come back, we're going to talk about the new Keep Colorado Wild Pass that can get you into the state parks for a lot less money on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, presented by Jack's Outdoor Gear on 104.3 The Fan. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Brought to you in part by Jack's Outdoor Gear. Before we get to our next guest, real quick, I want to give you a chance to win some tickets to the International Sportsman's Exposition in January. We're going to give away a pair of tickets to the first person that texts 303-713-1043. That's our regular text and call-in number. And tells Karen the name of the... We told we talked about there's a way to report poaching and wildlife violations. There's a specific name for that program with a phone number, and I think you can do it online. So whoever texts Karen the name of that uh, that program is going to get two tickets to the International Sportsman. Well, the first one that does, International Sportsman's Exposition. Let's go to the phones, and joining us from Colorado Parks and Wildlife is Bridget O'Rourke. Good morning, Bridget. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Always great to have you on. You're always so bright and upbeat and cheerful. I love that. Makes the I think oh, it makes the show. Well, thank you. Makes the show better. Um, you know, starting in January, uh, the outdoor public in Colorado is going to get a chance to not only visit our state parks at a reduced rate, but also hopefully it's going to bring more money into the system with more people doing it, and we're going to be able to fund a bunch of other things too. And that's uh, that's called the Keep Colorado Wild annual pass. Tell, I think we've talked about it a little bit, but why don't you refresh people about what this is? Absolutely. So this is an exciting opportunity for all Coloradans. So starting in 2023, all of our residents are going to see that $29 Keep Colorado Wild pass added to their annual vehicle registration through the DMV. And so what's new about this pass is it's actually more than 60% cheaper compared to a traditional state parks pass. So original parks pass is $80 and this pass for our residents is $29. But it is more than just a state parks pass, which gives you entry into all of our beautiful state parks. The money that's raised from the pass sales is actually going to be directly supporting our state parks, our search and rescue teams, our avalanche safety programs, our wildlife conservation efforts, and our outdoor and accessibility educational opportunities. So I like to think of it as we accomplish more together than we do alone. 
And this is more of a conservation path than just a state parks path. And that's true. Even if you're not a, a, a very frequent park user, uh, for this price, I mean, if you only go to the parks like three times a year and buy a day pass, this will still save you money. And because I think they're up around $10. Now I'm just off the top of my head. And so even if you don't think you're going to use parks very much, this money could go to a lot of good causes and a lot of good things in the outdoors, habitat, park improvements, a better user experience. And I think the goal of this program was to get people into the parks, enjoying them, but then have the resources to really make it a better experience. Is that, would you say that's true? I think that's exactly right. And so this is an opportunity for all of us to support our great doors, great outdoors and wildlife in a really meaningful way. So it really aligns with the Colorado way of life. We love to connect with our outdoors and whether people enjoy an active outdoor lifestyle or they just appreciate our state's natural beauty and want to keep our landscapes clean. This is really supporting our local communities and nurturing nature, giving back to the outdoor spaces we all cherish and enjoy. Now, how is this going to work? Let's say my my Jeep, for instance, the the registration doesn't come up until May. So I don't want to wait till May to start going to state parks. Obviously, I'm in them year round at multiple. So how do I approach that? That's a great question. And so we at CPW and at the DMV understand that this first year is going to be a little funky until we all can align our annual state park passes that we've already purchased at regular price in addition to buying this new Keep Colorado Wild Pass. So at CPW, we've come up with some refund options where if you go to our website at cpw.info slash Wild. There's going to be directions on how you can get a prorated refund because we want to make sure that this is a positive buying experience for our residents and we want to make it as easy for them as possible. Yeah, it sounds like it'll work really well. And of course, a lot of people, their parks pass might overlap too. So you're going to, each individual is going to have to look at that because your parks pass isn't good for just a calendar year. It's good from the year you bought it. So folks are going to have to look at that and make some decisions. You want to go through the process of getting a refund. Uh, but I think once you opt in to the one on your license plate, on your registration, and for $29, and that perpetuates, you're just going to get that $29 parks pass on that car every year for that time. So it should, it should, uh, it should really be a great program for people to be able to access parks. Is there some goals in mind for the program, Bridget? Yeah, so the hope really is to annually make hopefully $36 million, and then again, all of that money will be dedicated in contributing and supporting our parks, our wildlife, our search and rescue teams. And again, this is Something that I learned through this whole process as well is some of our search and rescue teams are completely filled with volunteers. So these are our outdoor first responders. And so buying this pass, even if you don't even go to a state park, you're you're contributing to these volunteers and giving them some additional gear that they need and more volunteers and staffing. And then also our avalanche safety programs. We know more people are going into the backcountry 
And so they need some additional support as well. And then also it's just the money can also go to outdoor educational programs where there's some younger children or family opportunities where you can go to a state park and learn about conservation or go on guided tours. And so we really just want to grow those programs so that everyone can experience what our great outdoors has to offer. So it's really contributing to conservation in a really meaningful way. All right. Well, I'll tell you what, Buck, I'll give you a quick tip because Bridget and I talked about this. Now, if you try to put off buying your, your, your renewing your registration over 30 days, you're going to have to pay a $20, $25 fee. So you don't want to do that. But right now, if your registration is due in December, you get 30 days grace period. So if you hold off until January, they could get that pass starting first of the year, right? That's correct. And again, if anyone has any questions, We've put together a really robust web page. It's, again, that cpw.info slash keepcoloradowild. We also have a web page where all the information is translated into Spanish as well. So we have FAQs on there, videos, all kinds of additional information. And if anyone ever has any kinds of questions, feel free to visit your local CPW state park your local office, or also feel free to call our call center as well. We're here to help. All right, Bridget, we're out of time, but great information. I probably won't talk to you, so have a great Christmas. Wonderful. It's always great talking with you, Terry, and happy holidays. All right, thank you. That's uh, Bridget O'Rourke. We're going to take a quick time out. The next two segments, we're going to get heavy into ice fishing. Our next guest is going to be Matt Johnson, he runs the pro staff for Clam Outdoors. And after him, Nate Zielinski. So all that and more coming up on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. When love has got you down You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. And Ty, thank you for... Playing a Wickstrom and Dover song. That's a song from our previous EP. We do have a new single out, so search Wickstrom and Dover on your favorite streaming service. By the way, we did get a winner for our International Sportsman's Exposition tickets. The answer was Operation Game Thief. We will be giving away one more pair yet today, so stay tuned for that. Let's go to the phones right now. And joining us, uh, he's, uh, he's an accomplished ice angler. He's a the the director runs the pro staff for the ice team for clam outdoors and several other brands it's matt johnson from minnesota good morning matt good morning terry how are you doing today i'm doing great we have uh we have lots of ice fishing going on in the mountains and we have single digits this morning at my house so our front range i would say in about two three days we're going to have people out We'll have all the trout fishing going on up there. We'll have trout fishing going on down here, but now it's going to open up our panfish and our um, our walleye fishing down here in the front range probably within the next day or so. So that's going to be phenomenal. So we're going to get a lot of people are chawing at the bit. Just want to make sure they do it safely. You know, you've been associated with clam for quite some time, and you're an accomplished outdoorsman and ice angler. 
Uh, of course, it brings back fond memories of myself being, I was one of the original members of the ice team back, I think that was in 1876, about 100 years after the <laughs> country was formed. And Dave Gens and Greg Claudio and I used to venture out on some of these uh, some of these lakes. I'm going to share a quick story because I know there's a product you want to talk about. People used to tell me back then, well, how do you know you have safe ice? And I tell them, well, you have to have a Ranta. And they go, what's a Ranta? And I said, well, he's this young guy that was pretty heavy that we would tie a rope on and send him out ahead of us. But, <laughs> oh, <laughs> but I like seriously, that. seriously, there's um, we our mantra on the show is there's no such thing as safe ice, but ice fishing yep. is extremely safe if you use common sense. And one of the things that's made it even safer are some of the new suits, isn't it? Yeah, you know, you, you nailed it, Terry. I mean, ice fishing... Uh, if you have a, a little common sense and use a little bit of caution, is a very, very safe activity. Uh, you know, and, and I like I like your uh, analogy of sending the big guy out first. We always joke about that, of course, just jokingly. But, no, suits are a big deal. I mean, we really promote float suits, uh, you know, meaning that has flotation membrane in the bibs and the parka. So if there is the unforeseen circumstance where something is to happen, you know, you're going to stay buoyant and, and above that water. Uh, and the big thing that Clam promotes is something called motion float, where forever float suits have been kind of known as big and bulky and super uncomfortable. So you sacrifice comfort and mobility for safety. Well, not anymore. With with motion float, we have a system in place where it feels like you're wearing a sweatshirt. Like it, you have the mobility, you have the comfort, you have the productivity, and you're not sacrificing the safety. So, yeah, you're spot on. I mean, a float suit is pretty commonplace now in ice fishing. It really is. And you know what? You're going to want to get some good, warm clothing because you want to be comfortable. You know, the clothing, we used to say the shelters, which we're going to talk about in a minute, open things up to the ice fishing public to get out there in more adverse weather and move around and find the fish. But the clothing has done even more because now sometimes you don't even need a shelter or you can work out of a hub shelter and move around. And the clothing is so good. And like you said, these float suits now don't sacrifice any comfort at all. Right. And then I always joke, I get the question asked all the time, hey, Matt, what, what's your favorite fish house? Which ones do you like the best? And I love that. There's plenty that I like. But my favorite fish house, Terry, is my ice armor suit. So you nailed it. Like yeah. my, that's, if you can stay warm in the ice and block the elements, it's amazing. We've been on the ice the last couple of days here in, the, in central Minnesota. I'll tell you what, we... We got some pretty good ice, but we're getting pounded with snow. We have – it snowed literally since Tuesday night, nonstop. Uh, we have – some places in Minnesota are talking about 40 inches of snow. Uh, we're seeing upwards of 10 to 12 here in the Twin Cities. But having the good gear, man, I, I haven't stepped foot in the fish out yet, yet this season. Yeah, I, I fish in an ice armor suit, and I fish out of uh, – fish traps, uh, clam shelters. I have for, I guess, since the 80s with me and when Dave Gents and I were going out. What's new on the shelter side itself? Speaking of shelters, I heard you have some new roomier ones. Yeah, we have a new lineup this year in the fish trap series called XT, and that stands for extra tall, and it serves multiple purposes. I mean, at first glance, even in a one-person, like, like I know you, you've run the Scout, Terry, for years, so the you know, the, the equivalent to that, call it the Kenai or a legend, has the XT front. You can walk into the front door, and you don't hit your head. 
So that's been a big one. And then when you're setting the hook like Bill Dance, you're not smacking the <laughs> roof of your fist trap either. So a lot more room, a lot more freedom to move, ability to stand up and stretch. And that's the XT lineup. It comes in everything from our one-person checks, flip-overs all the way to our larger two- and three-person flip-overs. So a lot more headroom, a lot more room in front of you, less room for air, and a lot more comfort. Now, I want to, before we run out of time, because these segments get short, I also want to talk to you. I want to tap into your expertise. Fishing for, we have pan fishing, and it's going to open up. We're going to have bluegills and crappies and perch that are going to be available probably just within days here for some pretty phenomenal fishing. But we also have a lot of uh, rainbow trout, and I find that I fish rainbow trout a lot of times very similarly to the way I fish for panfish. Why don't you take us through some of your favorite panfish lures and techniques and how you set things up? Yeah, you know, you nailed it. There is definitely some similarities between panfish and trout. Uh, and, and I'm big on, I fish a, a small spoon a lot called the Pinhead Pro, and, and we came out with one this year in a 30-second ounce. So a one thirty-second ounce little micro spoon, and I don't fish it with any bait. Uh, I'm, I'm, I keep it moving. I think when you make your lure stop moving, fish don't want to bite. I don't care if you're fishing a tungsten jig, plastics, maggots, spoon. I'm always moving that, that bait. So I always start off with a small micro spoon that can cover a lot of water, get down quick, get down fast, be efficient, a really good hooking percentage. And this is for both crappies, bluegills, perch, uh, any and all of the above. Otherwise, I'm fishing tungsten. Tungsten has really become popular in the last 10 years. It's been around for a while, but in the last 10 years, it's pretty much what you'll find in most people's arsenals is tungsten, which is 30% heavier than lead. You can fish a smaller jig, have the weight, have the control, have the feel, and then I'm usually tipping that with some kind of microplastic, whether it's a, a Mackie Minnow, a Mackie Jamie, something along those lines, and I'm getting after it. So I kind of have a one-two approach. I have my micro spoon, and then I have my tungsten and plastic combo. I'm not a big live bait angler. I mean, I'll have some spikes or maggots with me, definitely, as a fishing guide the last couple of days. I've put some maggots on my client's jigs because we've had kind of a real finicky bluegill pattern. But I like that one-two spoon, tungsten, plastic combo. Uh, I get after it. I go quick. I'm pretty efficient. I move fast. I don't sit in one spot, and I let the fish tell me what they want. Well, you know, I'm with you. Uh, unless I'm, like, I took my grandson out last week, so I picked up some wax worms. But I don't even take yeah. bait. I figure if I don't do as well, the, the small plastics are so lifelike and so good, and you don't have to worry about keeping them alive if they freeze or what happens, and you don't rebate as often, so you're back down the hole quicker. I'm a real proponent of that myself, but I did I do occasionally have some with. Last question on presentation. It's really been I've seen a lot of people their line choice. A lot of people used to use mono or special ice lines, then they went to braided lines. Now the fluorocarbons seem to be taking off. Do you have a particular line choice you like? I mean, if, if I would still tell people that probably a good monofilament's probably your best of all worlds, especially in ice fishing. It has it's pretty abrasion resistant. It has some stretch for fighting larger fish at the hole. Uh, it's pretty decent on wicking moisture uh, for freeze up. It doesn't have the memory of fluorocarbon. Uh, braid can freeze to itself. I mean, they all have their purpose and they all have their strengths. But I would say, if if someone asked me, Matt, I need, I got two setups, crappie. Uh, and let's say walleye, what should I get? I'm going to talk them into a monofilament. Uh, I use the Frost Ice Line from Clam. Uh, we partnered with Sunline. Super good stuff. 
uh, and I'm running usually a three-pound test line for my panfish. I will run some two. Three is probably your most bulletproof option. And then for walleyes, I'm running a five or a six. So uh, you're all right. Lots of options. We have meter, different colored lines, all that kind of stuff. Really comes down to confidence. I don't think the fish see the line as much as we think they do. Uh, if they can see the line, they can probably tell that's a jig. So, yeah. uh, and that's a famous quote of Dave Genz's. So um, that's kind of where my head's at with fishing line. Mono gets gets the nod for me. If people want more information on the clam and your other lines of products, where do they go? Yeah, best place is probably clamoutdoors.com or, or just typing clam outdoors into any of the social media engines, whether it's uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube. All kinds of great stuff. They can check it all out there, ask questions, and get just as excited as we are. All right. We're out of time, but 30 seconds. we got Nate Zielinski coming up next. Do you think he really knows anything about ice fishing? Oh, Nate Nate looks good. I'll tell you what, that dude's fit as a fiddle. Uh, That guy catches and shoots everything. Uh, We're all envious of Nate out in our neck of the woods at what he gets to do every day. And I'll tell you what, you're gonna have you're gonna have a pretty good guy in the line next in terms of integrity and personality. We got to spend some time together at the St. Paul Ice Show a week back. I always love seeing them, and I'm sure you're gonna have one one great conversation. All right, thank thank you. We're gonna let you go because anybody says that much nice things about Nate, we got to let him go. But <laughs> we're out of time. Right. We're out of time, Matt. And uh, thank you so much for joining us. Good luck on the snow and on the ice. You too, bud. Thanks, Terry. You bet. Matt Johnson from Clam Outdoors. We're going to take a quick break, and the aforementioned Nate Zielinski will join us on 104.3 The Fan.